Welcome everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of the Solution for Cities podcast brought to you by the Solar Impulse Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandro Gaia. Uh, today it's a little bit different, we're not in Paris anymore. Uh, we're back at the roots, back in Lausanne. Uh, I'll introduce our guest for today a little bit later, but just now we're going to do a little teaser promo before we start. Um, this podcast will be online before the publication of our much-awaited Solution for Cities Guide, which is a more than 200 pages report that offers a contextual analysis exposing the challenges that cities have to actually to actually unlocking their ecological transitions, what we call the pain points. And this effort seeks to highlight those and address each of them by proposing solutions with reference to market trends, blockages to uptake and case studies. So stay tuned for that. It should be out in the next few weeks uh, and you'll obviously find uh, all the information on our website and on our social media. Uh, but today, the, the most important today, we are live with Sasha Stolp, Director of Innovation for the Future Proof Assets Program of the City of Amsterdam. How are you? Thank you, Alessandra. Nice to meet you. Same. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, so as you know, it's a podcast that dives into our city, do their green transition, their obstacle they face, and obviously how public authorities, private entities, and the common citizen can work together to overcome them. Uh, so we have a, a little tradition in our episode is to uh, start with something specific about the city that we will be discussing. So in this case, Amsterdam, uh, for example, what can you tell us about Amsterdam that is unique? So you can tell the city, the geography, its history, or even the, the population in relation to its environmental transition. What can you tell us about the capital? About the capital of the Netherlands, of course. Amsterdam is the capital of the Netherlands. We're not a very big city, approximately 900,000 inhabitants. Uh, we are an historical Delta city, although not that old, only about 750 years old. We will celebrate within two, three years our 750th anniversary. Um, we are a low-lying city even with a part of our city below sea level. And that makes us, of course, vulnerable for climate change, not only for sea level rise, but most of all, heat stress, uh, extreme rainfall, uh, drought periods. And uh, those kind of uh, assignments will be uh, well severe for our city. And hopefully we can deal with them, of course. Um, I think we are an... Well, quite a, a, a city with a high welfare. Our inhabitants are used to have everything, well, what's available to them uh, uh, delivered right on time. And we also have a high knowledge uh, uh, population. So that helps a bit, I think, when you're talking about environmental transitions. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, we'll discuss it a little bit later. Um, but we, even in the previous episodes, we highlighted quite often the importance of uh, educating the population to what is going on, to the current situation. So I think what you, you hint at might, might be really relevant, and I think we'll discuss it a little bit later in the conversation. But maybe we should also go a, a, into what you do, uh, your role at the city of Amsterdam, uh, just so people can understand how important you are. I don't know if I am the important one, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, I try to help and facilitate the urban managers in taking the right decisions 
So there are urban managers, especially for the um, uh, public space, but also for the things that we own as a city. Think about all the sport pitches that we have and buildings, facilities. They make investments decisions every day. And of course, we have the policy to become a climate neutral, circular, climate adaptive city and as soon as possible. So how do we do that? from the things that we already own and from our maintenance portfolio. So how do we do that in everyday life and with all the single things that we do? That's not only a transition of the assignment, but it's also a transition of the organization that we're in. How do we make the right decisions, actually, and on a daily basis? And on that topic um, about you know making the right decision, what informs you uh, in making them or in advising uh, the relevant people to make X or Y decision. Is there something in particular that drives you? Yeah, it drives me that I uh, create a co-creation between what we're doing on an everyday basis, but making a co-creation with knowledge institutes and with the people who are actually executing the work. So our contractors. How do we combine that in finding the right solutions and implementing them? It needs, well, it's a new dance, actually. It's not about a linear process. We give an assignment, then it's done. Or it is about discovering together what kind of solutions works, scientifically based in the end, for the city of Amsterdam, and which can we develop together to upscale towards the new normal. So it's actually a more process-driven approach in which we have a living laboratory, but also having a new type of conversation with each other. We have, of course, the people from the science, we have the contractors, we have the people working actually in our core business, how do they work together? How do we communicate towards each other? And in the end, we want to monitor, of course, are things working and how can we upscale it towards policies? No, I, I was just thinking you, you mentioned uh, once or twice the, the contractors. Um, is there work to be done or have you done work uh, or the city of Amsterdam in general on the procurement side of things? So obviously there are a lot of work going on, adaptation, uh, modernization, also retrofitting. Is it is it something about uh, rules and uh, regulation on procurement that can help also the, the whole process? Uh, it's not actually rules and regulations. It's inviting each other to cooperate in this innovation process. So create space within the assignment. So it's actually not about how do we force people to cooperate? But if you want to work in Amsterdam, you're invited to participate in the innovation. And it's not only in our benefit that you participate, because we are looking for these new standards, of course, and in the end, the new regulation. But for knowledge institutes to participate, it's about creating new knowledge, but also having this very attractive environment for young students to get involved in this urban assignment and cooperate. And for the contractors who joins uh, in our assignment, they join for a longer period, so not for one project only, but for a program actually. And they participate because they can develop new business cases which they can upscale 
towards other cities, towards other entities, towards other uh, um, assigners. Yeah, so we we try to create a process in which we involve each other in doing the better thing. And obviously, my, my natural next question would be, do you have an example of a process where uh, this happened and yet you were satisfied either with the result or also the whole preparation uh, in, in a particular project? Yeah, well, what, which I find a very interesting project is uh, a city sport, for example. As a city, we own our sport pitches. And we have a lot of artificial sport pitches, and that is due that we are a highly intense uh, uh, city. So you want to use your sport pitches very much uh, and very several times. But the thing is about artificial sport, turf sports pitches is that they get very hot during summertime. So you have these, well, blasters of urban heat island effect. So the question was, can we create an artificial turf sport pitch, which is not only accessible for a lot of sports, but it also have a cooling capacity? Well, we first started with a laboratory test, uh, 28 very small pitches, about 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters. Then we had a pilot in a protected environment, which we could test. There were four of them, the best four. Then we created parallel at the test beds. We created a living laboratory of a half a turf sport pitch just to give people the feeling and is it working? Don't you slide on it very much? What's the ball doing in the stepping on the field? Is it working the same way actually? And then we upscaled it towards a complete turf sport pitch. And right now, it's even much larger because it works. We figured out that a normal turf sport pitch will get in the sunshine around 60 degrees, which is far too hot. And while our innovate, uh, 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 our um, city sports pitch is only getting 30 degrees. So it's half the temperature. That's very interesting to see. And what does it do for a city? What does it do for the players? And right now, other cities in the European Union are adapting our turf sport pitch because the uh, the partners involved, the commercial partners, they are now able to prove that their solution is working. And on the other hand, we see much difference within the playability of our turf sport pitches here in the city of Amsterdam. So it works for us, gives us an opportunity to create a new policy on our third sport pitches, and it gives an opportunity for the companies involved to upscale towards the European Union. And this creates, of course, new knowledge, new standards, etc. And um, re regarding the, the specific example, do you think it's something that can be expanded, uh, I mean, to, to a bigger venue? So I know, for example, in Amsterdam, you have the, the Johan Cruyff Arena and things like this. Um, is it something that can be upscaled? So now we're talking about pitches in the city uh, for the local population. But in, in recent debates, we, we hear a lot about the role of big venue, uh, mega events and things like that. Uh, is there something to be done at that level too? Uh, yes, that's what, exactly what I mean. Of course, we are not testing it at the Johan Cruyff Arena. Of 
course not. We are doing this sure. in 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 the small uh, in the smaller parts and on the smaller pitches. But right now it is implemented in several cities within the European Union. So you see that a very good example and also an urban story helps a good solution to upscale. And, and is there uh, the reverse? So you, you're talking about uh, other cities getting inspired by something Amsterdam did. Is there something that you saw in some other places in the Netherlands or in Europe or even the world that you thought this could be applied to the city of Amsterdam? We sometimes see solutions and then Sometimes it's part we we can we can have a tryout in our, one of our living laboratories if we if we doubt that it's useful for us and otherwise of course you can upscale by your contractors so we 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 have this contract with our contractors and they can uh, uh, propose all kind of solutions for us yes and we help to implement them and to test them yes. all right. And on that particular topic uh, of the sport pitches, but I'm, I'm guessing it, it's, a, it's a statement that is valid on other things. Uh, you mentioned that obviously it has an effect on the players because when the heat is there, uh, the game is affected, obviously their life is affected. Do you think that you know today, the current circumstances, adapting the city uh, to higher temperatures, uh, to droughts, uh, does it affect the general lives of citizens in the city not just um you know it goes far beyond the whole um green aspect of things it makes the city more livable maybe more resilient more sustainable but also maybe socially more just is that something that you've noticed you mean by putting on more green in our cities that we have all these kind of benefits i do think so but do i incorporate it yet on a large scale no we don't because The thing is, we have never seen this as a challenge for our city. And it's just incorporating in the regular assignment that we have to be climate adaptive. So it's not about what do we have to do. It is more about how are we going to do it and how do we create a process Well, together with the contractors, together with the knowledge institute, that we figure out what's working for our cities and on what spots. Yeah, we do know, of course, the IPCC. And, and everything that, that's in it for the health of our citizens, but also on the lifespan of our urban assignments. So what does it mean for our bridges, for our cables, for our parks, for, the, for our roads? Do we have more damage? Is it uh, um, affecting the way you use uh, the public space? Um, and if so, What are the better solutions? That's what we're trying to find out right now. We haven't incorporated in previous years. All we have, but on old standards. Of course, there was always, you, you always take into account water when you're a low-lying city like us and, and for parts under sea level. But right now, climate change is a game changer. So we need to adapt with everything that we have in steps. Yes, that's the program that we're in right now. We have set a date for ourselves in 2050. We need to be climate adaptive. And right now we're having not only policies, but also uh, uh, we test in several test beds, living laboratories. We have this new type of dialogues together with our citizens. What do you need for type of advice for us? 
And and everything is focused on keeping our people not only safe but also healthy and create a nice livable city or stay a nice livable city. I think that's the better word. Um, it, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, in in the previous episode, in the number number three, I believe we were in Prague. Um, and the person was responsible for um, the circular economy in, in the city of Prague. And he was telling us about all these issues that he's faced with the citizens, where he had a lot of education to do uh, because people were either uh, not aware or a specific project was causing issues to their everyday lives. So there was a whole thing about, okay, this is what you have, you, you, you're going to get from it. This is how you benefit. Um, what's your experience with the citizens of Amsterdam? Is there a, a, a cooperation going on with public entities and the local citizens? Is there opposition to projects or is it more a, a smooth sail? No, those kind of things are never a smooth sail. <laughs> it is a process that we are in with each other, actually. And I think this uh, this, this, this is important for the whole society and for everybody within the European Union, for everybody who's living in cities. Uh, uh, we are going to change because the climate is going to change. And this has effect not only on our energy and the way we use raw materials, the way we use water, for example, uh, and, and the way we use our urban space. The thing is, it doesn't have to mean that it will lower the well-being of being in a city. It's just that we have to start this conversation. How can we adapt? And the thing is, it will be probably more adaptive on certain levels. So for citizens, for instance, if you are, are fine by higher temperatures, you probably enjoy a warm summer in Amsterdam more than the rainy, the rainy ones we had before. On the other hand, we, we, we have buildings which were built for another climate. So how do we think about this building and adapt them towards this, this, this warmer summer? And what does it do for, let's say, for instance, for schools, for children? So it is a big question. And then the answer is very much on a neighborhood and a personal level. So it, it, it yeah, I think that that's it. We we see an a, a global event and it affects personal life. And but the thing is, you have a broad range of what's the right solution, and it's not one size fits all. It's not a preta porte. I mean, and but how? What what would you say is is then the biggest challenge? Because if you have, uh, you know, the willingness to move forward to to future proof uh, Amsterdam, um, what what are the obstacles, the challenges that you're facing in doing so? Um, we know we were f talking to to Paris. They have this group that's called uh, Paris for 2050, uh, which is very similar to what you're describing. They're getting ready to what the conditions will be in 2050. Um, and he was telling us, for example, Paris is a very mineral city, so the green spaces are a challenge, um, which is obviously something very different for, for in Amsterdam. What's the situation uh, for you? Well, there are, of course, several, but um, 
I think that the biggest challenge is that we have to change uh, towards the level of energy on the level of raw materials and on the level of water and then translate that within our urban assignment. So if you're talking about Paris, they are working on their green spaces, of course, and creating a a walkable city of 50 minutes, the 50-minute city. Exactly. Um, In Amsterdam, we're... We also have spaces where where elderly people exactly. can't walk towards parks and to cooling places. So it is taking in regard what does our citizens need, but also have the conversation who is going to invest in the solution on what moment. Because it can also be a library who gives access for elderly people when it's very warm. Can be. It can be. So it's actually what I said, it is, you you have not only, it it would be simple when it is a one-size-fits-all solution, but it's actually always a dance between what kind of people are living in a neighborhood, what demographical type do they have, and what kind of solutions can we take or help them with. And then, of course, we can prevent everything. So it's also about an approach of facilitating people. And I think this new approach, not a, it's not a top-down approach. It's creating <coughs> this network of the well-willing, showing that things are possible, and then creating this bigger movement. And in that regard, you get also the support of private entities? Yeah, we do get the support of private entities because they see... They have to be, they move on, of course, they have to make a profit, but they also want to be a mirror to the question of citizens and the city itself. So they need to be more involved in, um, well, let's say, societal benefits. They want to deliver that too. But that needs, on the other hand, that we have to share our vulnerabilities with them in order that they're able to create a right solution. And then, of course, we have to test it. Is it working? And is it working for the situation of Amsterdam at that spot? Because it's not one size fits all. So there is a, <clears throat> there is a consciousness uh, from all sides, it seems, that if they don't adapt, if they don't uh, test this new technology, new solutions, um, there will be consequences in the future. So there is this kind of, we know we have to do this together. You've, or at least you like to think that there is. I, I, I would like you to say that there's a very broad idea that we want this, but of course it's not. It's mm-hmm. These types of developments always start with front runners, with people who do believe that things can change, but also have a bit of knowledge <coughs> of the assignment and have the willingness to take a next step, to take a bit of risk. Therefore, as I mentioned, we have this program of the living laboratories, that's testing. But more important, it's about creating room for this new type of space. We come from an era in which we were very stuck in old ideas. And we need to cooperate. So we need to take time to create a new narrative of hope. And first of all, you all you will always reach the front runners and only reach the front runners. But then it's, of course, in this collaboration, you try to upscale the best practices. You will show the other ones that we can do better. So we need to be 
or to inspire others. And it will all be on their own level. It's not only about inspiring citizens to take the best steps, but it's also encouraging our colleagues within the municipalities to take the best step. And it's also about getting enterprises involved, but also the financial institutions. Why are they delivering a loan? And when not? We are not there yet, but I think that there's creating this new narrative that it's not impossible. We can have hope, so it's not exclusively positive nor negative. It's in between. It's a realistic story of the steps that we can take. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, going back to what we're saying and to, to what you just mentioned, um, the, the person in Prague was saying a lot of the education and awareness that we have to do is actually with colleagues and with upper management in the city um, to, to people that have to take decisions maybe that are at first not really related uh, to the green transition or to the adaptation to, to 2050. Uh, but we have to educate them in understanding that the decision that they're taking will have way longer consequences. Well, I, th I think that if we have to educate people, it is about educate people in the broader sense. It's, it's not about the decision makers themselves, but it's about... Uh, well, let's say, say, for instance, we have a blue-green energy roof. But if I have an electrician who knows only things about electricity, they, he, will say right, he or she will say right away, electricity and water isn't a good idea. But if we learn people that we, we can make the electricity safe and we can also collect rainwater at our roof, We have a more integrated approach about how we can use the roof. And, as a, and, and if we collect rainwater, we can use that to irrigate green. We will have flourishing and thriving blue-green uh, roofs with on top of that solar panels, which are cooled actually extra, so they function better. But it needs that we have to educate the people who are working with this type of solutions on a very diverse but also integrated way. And so it's not only about can we affect decision makers, but it's about how do we come to a process in which everybody can take their role in this new development. And that's on educational level, so it's new knowledge, It's, it's, it's our new approaches, the new ways of delivery. On the buildings that you were mentioning, um, on the roofs, for example, there is this, uh, this conception that, um, you know, it will also affect the look and feel of a city um, because, uh, you know, you have the historical buildings. Amsterdam, as you said, is a very old city with very old buildings and need retrofits uh, very often you know they are uh, uh, very badly insulated um, is there something there that has been done by the city of Amsterdam to to um, to make those two things work so the historical side and the need to actually change uh, these old buildings how do we maintain uh, and use the main uh, maintenance assignment so that's not only maintaining public space but it's also encouraging people are maintaining their current house in 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 taking the better decisions and then of course you have other uh, um, situations than when you're in a new bu new built environment of course 
So we have to take that in calculation. Well, we have several uh, um, um, websites, but also uh, uh, network groups like the um, what they call the Groene Grachten. They de developed a monitoring tool, but also a solution tool for inhabitants of historical uh, buildings. And uh, and what they can do to lower their energy building, but also to take the right measurements, for instance, in isolation, and if possible, uh, blue-green roof. Um, and, you know, if, if you had a, a magic wand, let's say, um, that you would like to see something to move quicker or to go further, uh, what, what what's the missing element for you that you would say, okay, if I had one click, I would choose this to go quicker, yeah. to go further, to do more. What would it be? Uh, well, I don't believe in metric wants, actually. <laughs> Let's say ideally. Yeah, ideally. Well, I think that we're on a tipping point in our society right now, actually. You, you see all kinds of new energy coming up. It's probably giving space to this young, new, bright energy to deliver what they want to deliver. That we don't uh, um, well, rely on a better past, but that we're looking for a brighter future and, and give young people in a very uh, hopeful way the space to create these new solutions. It is about well, what we can do as a city, we can deliver space, actually, literally. And I hope that we can well, for instance, we have now right now in the European Union the 100 climate neutral cities that we can accept that if something is scientifically based working in one city, that it's interesting for another city to incorporate it in their approach. And of course, you probably will need a new corporation with an, uh, with an institute which helps you to see is it is it nice for my city and is it working for my city? But we can share things like tender procedures, uh, the way we look to watch things, and we can share this better between cities and then help our citizens to upscale. And, and I think that needs to be a network of young people, not as old as I am. Oh, I think... I, I actually believe, you know, it, it, it's everyone. Um, I, I see it, I mean, as a normal citizen, we see it every day with different, very different people for different backgrounds doing their own uh, adaptation. It's also about adaptation, changing the way things are, are, are done and how they will do it. But obviously the, 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 the youth have a, have, a, have a big role to play. Um, well, I mean, my my next question would be then: Are you optimistic about it? About this transition? About this knowledge sharing um, of the maybe also the younger generation um, across Europe and the world, but also across generations? I wouldn't say I am nor positive nor negative, but I'm hopeful. I am hopeful if I see all these new bright ideas that are already there. That we, I, I see the movement. Uh, in startups, in front runners, and and these are not only people from the business side, but also from the governmental side, and also at the knowledge institute, I see an, a willingness to cooperate and to 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 create new solutions for the big challenges that we are facing, and 
I also see a system that's not ready to incorporate this new energy. And I, I'm, but I'm hopeful that with a nice and inspiring, uh, um, um, well, examples that we can create within our cities, that we can inspire other cities to upscale and to make it a bigger movement. But I think we are a bit on the tipping point. And I'm making a podcast myself together with uh, managing director uh, Kenneth, uh, of AMS Institute, Kenneth Heinz. And we have interviewed over 100 frontrunners. And every time... As we stop the podcast, I'm more hopeful that we can make the change. Yes, but we need to do a lot. And especially, well, uh, people of my age, we probably have to take a step back and give the other ones the floor. Yeah, I'm quite (coughs) convinced about that too. Yeah, and it is also something that we see here at the foundation with the more than 1,400 solutions. Um, I mean, I met a lot of them and there is this enthusiasm. So it's not optimism. It's not uh, pessimism is, as you say, is hopefulness, enthusiasm to actually um, being able to make changes. And as you said, it's something that's already here. Uh, we, We have a lot of the solutions. It's all about willingness to actually apply them, put them into place. Uh, create the right uh, context, the right paradigm to to make them um... and and share our narrative of hope. Make it broader and accessible for everybody. It's so important. You know, they sometimes say there are two sides of the society. Well, then it is up to us to bridge those two sides if they're already existing. Because we have to encourage. We are in this in Europe together. And as citizens of Europe, we can create a better Europe. It's just about making, well, the right decisions. Decisions that works for us and decisions that work for all of us, including nature. Well, I think um, that's a great conclusion uh, maybe to, to our conversation. That was the, the right words to, to finish. I mean, thank you very much, Adley. Uh, this brings the conversation to an end. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. Alessandro, it was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, so this marks the end of the fourth episode of Solution for Cities podcast by the Solar Impulse Foundation. The next episode will fly to, to a new city around the world. So stay tuned and uh, look forward to sharing uh, more interesting conversations with, with other people across the world. Thank you very much.